New York is a city of endless discoveries, from landmark buildings like City Hall to hidden gems like New York Marble Cemetery in Manhattan's East Village neighborhood. For one weekend each year, the organization OHNY, which stands for Open House New York, invites the public to explore hundreds of New York City's most impressive sites. City Hall and New York Marble Cemetery are among OHNY's featured locations this year. Hi, I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape. If you're like me, you look forward to OHNY Weekend every year, and it's finally upon us. Joining me in the studio to talk about it is the organization's executive director, Gregory Westner. Gregory, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So how long have you been at the helm of OHNY now? I have been executive director of Open House for three years. This so is what my brought year. you? What brought you to the organization? Well, before I came to Open House, I was working at the Architectural League, and I was a curator, and I had done a series of exhibitions about architecture and development in New York City in the first decade of the 21st century. And so I had, for a period of about six years, uh, had been looking almost exclusively at what was going on in, in New York City, really during the Bloomberg administration. So I was very familiar with architecture and planning and sort of the major issues. And as I was finishing up the third of these three exhibitions, the position at Open House New York opened up and it became an opportunity for me to take what I had been looking at in a gallery and exhibition setting and apply it to the city itself. Because that's sort of one of the joys of Open House New York is that I like to think that our field of operation is the city. We take the learning and engagement out of the museum or out of the lecture hall and uh, bring it into the streets. Yeah, so let's rewind a little bit because OHNY Weekend is one of my favorite events of the year in New York City. But there are people who are unfamiliar with this weekend. How do you describe it to folks? We have a couple of different ways of describing it. Um, some Sometimes we will will say that uh, it's a the city turns itself inside out, opens its doors. Um, it's really taking that, that very familiar concept of the open house, an occasion when you invite friends and colleagues and family into a space, whether it's your home or your office or a studio, and have an afternoon or evening of just sharing and and looking and talking. And we take that simple concept and apply it to all of New York City. A whole wide range of places, yes. from brand new spaces to very old spaces in this big city. Yep, which is an extraordinary thing, I think, about Open House New York, is that whereas many events, many organizations are looking at either historic preservation in old buildings, or they're looking at new buildings, or they're looking at a certain kind of building, the beauty of Open House New York and of OHMY Weekend is that we really are looking at the city in its totality. And Everything about it from the streets to the parks to the homes to the infrastructure to um, commercial and civic buildings. So it's really thinking about the city as a whole and not just its individual parts. What are among some of the more cutting edge places, would you say, during this weekend that you can visit? Well, we're excited this year um, because we're doing a whole series with the Structural Engineers Association of New York. So talk about cutting edge. We'll have um, engineers talking about some of the most significant and, and sort of leading edge projects that have been built in the city, including things like the Apple Cube, which is such an iconic building. And it's, you know, probably, you know, less than a decade old. Um and hearing from the structural engineers who make that building stand up. And um, 
So we have that. In that same series, we're going to have the engineers of the new Whitney Museum and the Meatpacking District. We'll be talking about the work that they did uh, on that project. Um, of course, we can't have a, an OHMY weekend without something on the High Line. So we'll have the engineers of the High Line who will also be talking about their projects. So so those, I think, are some of the, the really exciting things happening in terms of contemporary and, and, and cutting-edge stuff. And on the flip side of that, if you want to delve into the history of New York, where can you go? Well, one of the, thing, one of the buildings and sites I'm most excited about this year is City Hall for any number of reasons. One is just a simply beautiful building. One of the oldest city halls in the country that's still in active use as a city hall. And the interior is landmarked. And it is an interior landmark, which also ties into, we're doing a big series this year as well, um, celebrating the 50th anniversary of New York City's Landmarks Law. We're just one of many organizations across the city that are participating um, in the Landmarks 50 Alliance to call attention to what an important and really groundbreaking piece of legislation that was in the early 60s. So what Open House is doing, um, bringing its sort of unique spin on it, is is opening up more than 20 of the interior landmarks. And a lot of people don't realize that um, an interior landmark is an entirely different designation from just being a landmark. Um, most landmarks only apply in in most cases, really only to the facade of the building. But the uh, to be an interior landmark, uh, it applies to the interior fittings and fixtures, and it brings a whole different level of responsibility and, um, and opportunity for building owners. So, and there aren't a whole lot of them in New York City compared to landmark that is exteriors. Right. We probably should check this, but I believe it's 117, mm-hmm. and there may be a few more. So but these I, are very special places. That's yes, the bottom line. Yes, absolutely. So what are among the other historical places on your list? So we're also um, here in the Bronx. We're opening up a a collection of buildings at the Bronx Community College, uh, including the Gould Memorial Library, which is a um, just stunning building by Stanford White. And if you have not been there, um, you should definitely go because the interior rotunda, uh, which is also an interior landmark, an incredible dome, a really beautiful central space in that building. And what is particularly interesting, I think, about that collection of buildings at the Bronx Community College is you really get a little bit of flavor across uh, centuries or across decades, at least. Um, You have the Stanford White Building, and then from the um, mid-20th century, there's a group of Marcel Breuer buildings that'll be open um, that we're doing in partnership with Dacamomo, which is a preservation group uh, focused on mid-century modernism. And then more recently, um, there's a library and academic building designed by Robert A. M. Stern Architects that will also have opened. So you'll get to uh, to get a survey of 20th century architecture um, in in one location. What is the history of OHNY? How long has it been around now? So open house, the open house idea and by that, I mean taking one weekend a year and opening up many buildings in a city. Actually started in London in 1992 um, by an, a very curious urban dweller um, by the name of Victoria Thornton, who, like I think probably so many of us who care about cities, would walk around London and, and look at buildings and think, why can't I go inside there? But I think unlike many of us, she had the wherewithal to come up with this idea of what if one weekend a year all these buildings opened up and we could all get inside. 
1992, Open House London starts. There's a New York architect working and living in London at the time and started volunteering for uh, Open House London. His name was Scott Lauer. He came back to New York, moved back home, and brought this idea uh, with him and went to a, um, a number of organizations and said, there's this great thing going on in London. We should do it here in New York. And everyone said, that's a wonderful idea. Why don't you do it? <laughs> uh, and so in 2001... This gentleman, Scott Lauer, started Open House New York. And I think it's important to mention this because it was just prior to September 11th. I was going to ask you that yeah. question because now you're in October. I was going to, right. I was going to ask whether that preceded or So or the idea, uh, So the idea comes back to New York and, and the first um, activity starts in the summer of 2001. And the first Open House New York weekend happens in 2003. And I think... That's significant because for anyone who was in New York at the time, I think we all remember of what it was like, that it was all about security and, and bollards and, and keeping people out and shutting down. And I think one of the most important things that Open House New York does is remind us that openness and access are important aspects of having a vibrant city. That first weekend in 2003, I would like to think, was really a counterbalance to what was going on in the city and communicated a message that said opening up is still important. And, and and I think now, you know, with distance, I think we all see that. But I think at the time it was it was important to keep that idea in circulation. How much has the World Trade Center site played into OHNY weekends over the years as it developed? We have had the great privilege over the years of dropping in and checking in on its development over the years. So we have done construction tours of One World Trade Center, formerly known as the Freedom Tower. Two years ago, we did Four World Trade Center um, as it was just finishing or, or near the end of its construction. And and eventually, I hope, once the, the site is fully open, that we'll do something and and look at it in its totality and, and see you know what it looks like Com- complete as a full site. What's been your favorite site to visit as part of OHNY weekend? Well, I would have to say, and this isn't very original, but the TWA Flight Center at JFK, um, which probably... Uh, also an interior landmark. Also an interior landmark, and there are thousands of other people who will probably have the same answer to that question. Why? Uh, and well, For me, um, I went to TWA for the first time during Open House Weekend two years ago. It's our most heavily visited site during the weekend, so I sort of went out there and stationed myself there for the full day. And first of all, I studied architectural history, and I have seen that building and been tested on that building and have had to write about that building for more times than I care to remember. And it is one of those... It's one of those places that... Photographs do not adequately convey the experience of place. And so for me to be there that Sunday two years ago, it was both thrilling to see essentially what is a celebrity building, you know, this this place that I've studied and written about and, and seen in so many photographs, to see it in person was just thrilling just on a very you know personal level. For open house to see thousands of people going to the airport just to walk around an empty building was so <laughs> exciting and thrilling and 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 
was just an amazing illustration of people's deep interest in architecture and deep interest in experience that you would give up your entire Sunday just to go walk around an empty building. That was what was so exciting. And so that memory will always stick with me, both on a personal level, because the building is just, it is incredible. It is really, truly extraordinary how thought out every piece of that building is and, and the thrilling experience. Even today, that building, you know, 60 years later, whatever it is, um, still just packs such a punch the minute you walk in and you feel you 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 cannot help but feel like you are just the coolest person in the world i am very happy to say that as of this week it will be open again is that um, a reservations required spot because some sites are reservation required some, there are there are sites that require advanced reservations for any number of reasons for space security whatever twa is not one of those how would you say the weekend has evolved since its early days I think over the past couple of years, what has been exciting for us is to really deepen the programming in the sense of it's not just about opening up a building and you get to walk in and you and you have that thrill, which we certainly do that. And it is certainly still a celebration of beautiful architecture, both old and new. And that will never change because we have this incredible platform for looking at the city and we have so many people's attention we thought it was a great opportunity to also push it a little further and use open house new york as an opportunity to look at big things that are happening in the city or to look at the city in in new ways and really get people thinking about what is the future of new york going to look like we're talking a lot about the weekend but what do you do throughout the year so we do programming 12 months a year Um, Certainly October is a big one. (laughs) We will do previews of important new buildings that are opening up. So that's a way of uh, highlighting the importance of contemporary design to the life of the city. We have been doing over the past two years thematic series, um, looking at a single issue over many months um, and many different kinds of programs. That's the kind of stuff that we're doing throughout the course of the year. So, you know, continuing to celebrate great design in the city because we believe wholeheartedly uh, in the importance of of good design, but also looking at more issue-driven stuff and um, what the implications are for urban design, for architecture, and, and for our neighborhoods and how, you know, the city in which we live. You can access many of the places during OHNY weekend for free. How do you sustain yourself as an organization? Thank you for asking. <laughs> it's a combination of, of individual support driven largely by um, fundraising events and membership, um, for which we are enormously grateful to hundreds, if not thousands of people who make, you know, small contributions that add up. Um, to make all of this possible. Um, certainly some corporate support. And I would say, even in, most importantly, it's um, government support from arts agencies like the National Endowment for the Arts, the New York City um, Department of Cultural Affairs, the New York State Council on the Arts. Um, they are all so crucial to um, sustaining, a, sustaining us over the years that I can't say enough um, and express enough gratitude to them. And I'm curious, is the open house in London still existing? It is, yeah, absolutely. And and in fact, 
1992, Open House London. 2001 is the founding of Open House New York. Um, since then, the open house idea has spread around the world, and I believe um, there are somewhere around 30 different open house cities now, all independent of one another. There is no sort of formal organizational structure, but each agrees to sort of adhere to a shared set of values, and, and really it's about promoting this idea of access to architecture. Gregory, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Gregory Westner is the executive director of Open House New York. Among the places being spotlighted during OHNY weekend this year is one of the largest cemeteries in New York City, Woodlawn in the Bronx. On the phone with me now is Woodlawn's director of historical services, Susan Olson. Susan, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. It's so good to talk to you today. So how far back does Woodlawn Cemetery date? It was established in 1863. First burial was in 1865. What makes this cemetery so significant in New York City? It's the art and architecture, as well as all the celebrated figures that are there. In 2011, the cemetery was declared a National Historic Landmark because of all the architects and artists that worked at Woodlawn, as well as all the celebrated individuals that are there, from Elizabeth Cady Stanton to Herman Melville to Duke Ellington. So what are among the most prominent pieces of architecture there at the cemetery? We have 13 pieces by McKim Mead and White. We actually have a monument done by Sir Edwin Lutyens, who designs the city of New Delhi, all the classic great English country houses. He does a piece for a friend. You've got an angel done by Daniel Chester French, the guy who gives us the Lincoln Memorial. Alexander Archipenko, the great cubist sculptor, does a piece at Woodlawn. So the whole range of folks who are doing remarkable work do very personal things for their friends and clients. Now, we're calling you today in Cincinnati, Ohio. Am I correct? That's correct. I am at the American Jewish Archives in Cincinnati, Ohio, researching the papers of Samuel Untermeyer. Now, why is Samuel Untermeyer important to Woodlawn Cemetery? It's one of the most extraordinary lots in the cemetery. It's 22,000 square feet. It has this huge whispering wall, but this mysterious statue that's enclosed in shutters done by Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney. And, of course, Untermeyer also had a house in Yonkers, Greystone, which they're restoring the Persian Gardens there right now. So for people unfamiliar with Samuel Untermeyer, who was he? He was one of the nation's most prominent attorneys. He was a securities lawyer. That was his expertise. And if everyone had paid attention to him, the Great Depression wouldn't have happened. And, of course, as a Jewish American, he was very adamant about what Hitler was doing and what was going on in Germany before his death. So he was very, very involved in the anti-Nazi movement. When did he die? He died in 1940. Now, what specifically are you researching about him? Well, for us, we have papers on the Untermyer Memorial at Columbia University. That's where our records are archived. But it's always good to get the other side. You know, we have what we received, but whether or not Untermyer's correspondence may talk about his landscape designer, his relationship with Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney. We're hoping to restore the monument, but it's always best to do a lot of research on the front end so you really understand what they were thinking. As you mentioned, Susan, there are a lot of notables buried there at Woodlawn Cemetery. Who is the most visited? It all depends on what's going on. We know that this weekend, I guess, the biopic on Miles Davis is coming out, so he'll get a lot of visitors. So your cruise, the Queen of Salta, 
every failed New York writer comes out to see Herman Melville. And folks come to Bat Masterson for some reason. We get a lot of requests for Bat Masterson and Ruth Snyder, who was put to death in the electric chair. What fact about Woodlawn Cemetery fascinates you most? I would say it's the people of Lot A on the border of East 233rd Street. We've got a lot of folks who were buried at need from the Cuban Confederate Ambrosio Gonzalez to the guy who swears he invented the light bulb to the Hatsburg print. You've got all sorts of strange people that have interesting stories, and that's what's wonderful about Woodlawn. There's a lot of celebrities out there, but everybody's got a good story to share. Susan, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, George. I love your show. (laughs) Susan Olson is Director of Historical Services at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. You can catch a tour of Woodlawn as part of OHNY Weekend. From the Bronx to Queens, on the phone with me now is Garrison Buxton. Garrison is Director of Ad Hoc Art. He joins us to talk about another tour featured as part of OHNY Weekend, this one of the Welling Court Mural Project, which has been described as one of the best collections of contemporary street culture in the world. Garrison, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Absolutely. Thank you. So the Welling Court Mural Project is part of OHNY Weekend. Tell us about the Welling Court Mural Project. Well, the Welling Court Mural Project is a project that is a community-based public art mural project, which started in Astoria, Queens. We're now in the going into the seventh year of it. And so basically it's a grassroots initiative. Um, people in the community were trying to improve the aesthetics of their neighborhood. And fortunately, through mutual friends, uh, Reverend Billy and the Church of Stop Shopping, we were put in touch. And so basically what we love doing is bringing art to the public and you know there's a lot of people that don't necessarily go to museums or galleries all that often and so really public art is a lot of people's largest exposure to artwork and so you know those are some of the big reasons is basically bringing artwork to people in a fashion where it can be enjoyed by all different walks of life at all different times of day. So what have you been using as your canvas there in the community? Mostly commercial and, and some residential walls. I mean, there's, there's a whole variety of, of property owners in the neighborhood that have been very gracious and responsive. The, the first year in 2010, we had a, a little over 40 murals. And um, this past year, we wrapped up with around 140. That's kind of the, the key cornerstone of it all is is having the property owner's permission to do it. So describe some of the murals for me. What do they look like? Oh, wow. There's a you have huge, a lot of them, yeah. <laughs> huge, huge variety, yeah, with over, you know, with over 100 artists participating. There's lots of different styles, and we, we have everybody involved from first-generation graffiti writers, so artists that helped birth the the whole movement of graffiti, which ultimately led to the movement of street art. So, you know, people that have been doing it since the 70s, as well as uh, some new up-and-comers that just started in in this this century. So everything in between. So from original heavy hitters to new talented up-and-coming people, um, a lot of 
the murals might just be straight aesthetics. I mean, things that are just that look nice and are colorful and fun. You know, they might have uh, plants, animals, people, etc. Um, but just things that are more focused on um, design and aesthetic issues. And then there's also people that choose to weave in community political activism type things, like maybe doing portraits of people. There's a, a woman, Katie Yamasaki, who works often with an artist, Caleb Nealon, that have partnered up out there. And um, she did a mural of Khalif Browder, who was a person that uh, committed suicides shortly after getting out of a, a long, wrongful incarceration thing. So, you know, so there's people that use it for for all sorts of ways of expressing themselves and what they do with their with their artwork. Um, another couple of women did a piece on uh, the Yazidi women um, that were being persecuted in the Middle East. So, uh, there, yeah, there's a, a wide variety of, of stuff from, you know, politically salient to aesthetically pretty and everything in between. Is there one mural in particular that speaks to you most? Oh, wow. That's such a tough one. There's so many great ones. I think it kind of depends on on my mood because there's there's a few that uh just strike strike chords depending there's one by um artist Jamie Heff that has the the Kool-Aid man bursting through bursting through a wall giving out his classic oh yeah. <laughs> um and and he's just an incredibly ta- a you know it's like he's incredibly talented b it's kind of a funny funny subject and so he just does a great job it was really nice to watch him work i mean he's a very incredible spray can artist and then that's another thing you were talking about what type of artwork i mean there's people that maybe use 100 percent spray paint there's and on the other end uh people that use 100 percent brushwork and do everything with just bucket paint and brushes and then a lot of stuff in between. I mean, a lot of artists use a variety of techniques to accomplish their pieces. But, um, yeah, spray and bucket paint are the most typical. There's also um, some wheat paste and uh, mosaics. An artist, Juan Carlos Pinto, did a, a beautiful mosaic piece last year with uh, the help of a couple of assistants. There's, uh, yeah, so actually Juan Carlos is, is one of my favorites. It's a really beautiful mosaic piece that's also interactive. There's some uh, there's some pieces of glass mosaic that actually change their images as you get closer to it. Outside of the aesthetic changes, how have you seen these murals transform the neighborhood since that first mural was painted back in 2009? Overwhelmingly positive. I mean, the, the overall, we've had people from the neighborhood stop us and you know, the artists have had all sorts of great conversations. We've had great conversations. I mean, people literally go out of their way to stop and talk about how the project has positively affected their lives and it makes them feel better about where they live and, you know, going to and from work or going to and from wherever they're going is a, a more pleasurable experience because of the artwork that's all around them. So instead of blank walls that are either slightly deteriorating and or covered up with blotchy graffitis and, uh, and tags and stuff, you know, there's these really incredible murals. So yeah, I mean, it's it's directly had a positive impact on how people feel about 
the area that they live and work in. I mean, the more that communities embrace art and creativity and have access to art and creativity, the higher the quality of life and the more engaged and interested people feel in their communities. So Welling Court is just another great example on how uh, if you bring stuff like that to the forefront of a community, people respond in a very positive manner. How important is it for you to be included in a weekend like OHNY weekend? Because if you don't have reason to go to the neighborhood, you might not go otherwise. But now you'll be getting people who will come in specifically to see your project. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I mean, OHNY weekend is such an incredible event that gives people the exposure and access to so much of New York City. And so we love it because... It's like it's a great cross pollination. I mean, a lot of OHNY is you know, architecture and sites, and this is a site, but it's different in the fact that it's a, you know, it's just a, a public mural project. And so we get people say that might be more in tune to the public mural aspect of it that get exposed to a lot of the other things that are going on with the weekend. So they might get exposed to other things that they weren't thinking of, and then. I mean, we just know that there's people that are going to the largely, you know, to a lot of the architectural stuff of the weekend, and so they get a nice introduction into another avenue of creativity that they may or may not have a lot of knowledge with. Garrison, thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Garrison Buxton is director of Ad Hoc Art. The Welling Court Mural Project is on the list of things you can check out as part of OHNY Weekend. More info at ohny.org. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Remember, you can delve into past episodes of the show at wfuv.org slash cityscape. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. My thanks to producers Taylor Nolk and Claire Drake. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.